Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me today. And I've got a fun show on tap for you. Kevin O'Connor, you know him from The Ringer, theringer.com. He joins me in studio, and we go around the NBA and hit on all the big topics, from what we're going to see in the coming weeks with lottery reform to what we might see next season and beyond from Oklahoma City to the coaching carousel. Which coach has the most pressure on him? I get into that with Kevin over the next hour. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. Post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. And now on to my conversation with the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor. Joining me this week uh, from the Ringer, theringer.com, Kevin O'Connor, kind enough to join me in the makeshift home studio. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the South Shore of Boston, Kevin. Be- beautiful studio, Chris. Beautiful Thank studio. You for Let's me. just lie <laughs> to the public and just say this like pictures on the wall and a huge mechanism hanging down here instead of just some rare artwork on all the walls very rare artwork (laughs) on the walls let me tell you well thanks uh uh, for coming in uh, because there's a lot i wanted to get into with you and i was was sort of sketching out ideas last night and there was a bunch of them that that came off but i guess we should start with the uh the, the idea of lottery reform which i talked about last week at length with howard beck but now it kind of officially has legs the nba has submitted uh, their proposal, the Board of Governors at the end of the month is going to vote on lottery reform. Um, I guess we should start with, do you think that lottery reform is necessary in today's NBA? I have a lot of mixed feelings on this, Chris. Um, I do think it would be better if there were a change. Um, I liked what Daryl Morey said to Howard Beck on Howard's uh, podcast last week where he's made multiple points of teams freeloading, you know, on teams, the visiting teams that I hadn't thought about. Um, and I do think, you know, just the fact that like there are situations where your fan base is rooting for your team to lose for the better. I do think that logically doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think within the construct of the rules, tanking's great. I liked what Philly did 10 years ago when I'm playing 2k, I'm tanking in those games too. I mean, it's like 
it's an effective technique, so I like it. But at the same time, I, I do think logically it would make more sense for some more flattened odds like we have do see proposed right now. But even that doesn't fix the actual issue, though. Yeah, I mean, I still think the question is, what is the negative effect on small market teams? And the NBA is adamant that the flattening of the top four or the bottom four and the fact that the odds go up for teams outside that bottom four will help small market teams. But I hear from small market executives. I hear from, from small market members of small market ownership groups that insist the exact opposite. And when they're, you know, they're in a, a survival mode right now where, where they're trying to figure out the best way to navigate this new landscape, I tend to believe them when it, when it comes to this because, you know, you look at next summer. I mean, this summer, and I talked about this with Howard too, this summer was a small market bloodbath. It was. I mean, Utah, they lost Gordon Hayward. Uh, you, you go into Indiana. I know they lost it to another small market, but they lost it to the Lakers. I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of unofficially where Indiana mm-hmm. lost Paul George to. You go into next summer, and what happens with Oklahoma City? What happens with New Orleans? What happens to these small market teams if they lose their superstars? They're going to be really bad, and, that, and they're going to be inside the top three type of bad. So the flattening of the odds... I think most likely is going to hurt them. And, and wouldn't you think that, that's the last, those are the last type of teams that you want to hurt? Those are the last type of teams you want to hurt. Um, but the thing is, is like the odds don't discriminate, right? If it's 14% for the top three teams and then like there's a slight bump after that, those teams can be small market teams just as likely as they can be big market teams. Like last year, this year rather, it was Boston the Lakers and Philly who had the top three best odds, all big market teams. Um, Those Phoenix, Orlando, Minnesota sure would have liked for those teams to have lower odds. So I think you look at, you look forward, right? And you're right for those teams, New Orleans, if they'd lose, if they lose Davis or if Westbrook leaves Oklahoma city, of course, those teams, they could be in real bad trouble. But at the same time, look at a team like the Pacers. They traded Paul George for Oladipo and Sabonis. I think it looks like at least on the surface, they're going to be pushing for the playoffs. They conti- they're going to continue trying to win games when in actuality, as a small market team, they should probably be a team that's tanking. They should be trying to bottom out, getting one of those top, top five picks. There are um, people, really, by the way, think that they, that think that the Pacers smoke and mirrors, though. They think the Pacers are going to be bad. No matter, like, I agree with you. You yeah. get two starters yes. from a playoff team, mm-hmm. but there are people out there that, that say... Like, they're they're going to suck. They're going to still they're, be they're a bad They're going to suck. I mean, it was a bad trade, and I don't want to like pile on of, like <laughs> talk to, enough about how bad of a deal that was. But, but the fact is, is like, it, it, we're talking about a smaller market team in the Indiana Pacers who yes they 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 might end up with the six best odds and maybe it's an okay thing where those small market teams can do what they want to where they don't feel like they have to bottom out and potentially alienate their fan base um, where they do potentially fill less seats maybe it's okay that they do push for the playoffs and run on their little playoff treadmill if they do uh, have higher lottery odds I, I personally like the tanking technique I find enjoyment in tanking I think what Philly did what Sam Hinkie did it's there's a misconception about like they were just losing they were just losing they they were losing because they were so adamant about winning long term that's why they were they were willing to lose in the short term in order to win for a very long time and i don't have an issue with that um but really like the tanking the tanking issue if tanking is the problem I don't think leveling the odds to 14% makes that much of a difference at all. It doesn't attack the real issue. The issue is the contracts. The fact that a, you sign, you get this rookie for four years, and then you have restricted free agency, so you might have them for seven or eight years. If you're worried about teams tanking, you need to devalue the actual draft pick because of the contract those players get. But you that, know, that, that, small, that's a CBA. Small market, small market owners would say you exactly. try to kill them too. Exactly. Like that's yep. they, their, their argument is that you, they exactly. need the draft and they need those right. seven, eight, nine 100%. years. I mean, the, the biggest problem that Utah has right now is that they allowed Gordon Hayward to go out and sign exactly. that offer sheet with Charlotte. Yep. If they had signed him straight up full and Hayward would have taken that at the mm-hmm. time. If they had signed him to a full max, they wouldn't be sitting here in this predicament right now. Those small market teams would You're sit right. here listening to this and go, 
No, Kevin. No, no. And, we need that. And, those and, years. and I agree because if you do that, you create worse problems. And that's why I'm, I'm uh, totally against when people say just abolish the draft because then you're going to have nuts. players. Yeah, it's it's the worst idea. You're going to have you're going to have every single like player really trying to angle their way to big market teams. Did they not the, learn from Lonzo Ball? Like I want to play for the yeah. like they, even if these big market teams are bad, great young talent is still going to choose Knicks, Lakers, even Boston, Miami. Over Oklahoma City, Memphis, and Milwaukee. Porzingis not giving his medical records to Philly yeah. to go to New York, which was really not in a great situation either because they're a bigger market team. Yeah. That's like one example just from the last couple of years. I mean, even now, I mean, teams have been – I feel bad for Ryan McDonough and Phoenix for some way. Mm. I mean, teams have been trying to keep their stars away from Phoenix, whether it was Porzingis, Kyrie Irving. I mean, teams have been trying to keep them away from that. You're not going to convince me that – a bad Suns team, even if they offered more money, that a young draft pick is going to go to. Oh, I, don't I, I don't think so either. I think I think the agents is probably in the right um, to think that there's probably more potential earnings. Unless you're a Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook level player in a small market like Oklahoma City, you look at the shoe deals they got, I don't think unless you reach that level as a player, you're probably not going to get the same type of money for doing commercials and the promotions and all the off-court stuff that comes being in a big city. Um so I, I, I think it's understandable why these players want to go to big cities. But you brought up Phoenix, and they're a good example of a team where maybe if these odds were flattened, maybe they would have won those one of those lotteries. Maybe that they would have. Um, obviously, we don't have no idea. But maybe for those six, seven, eight te- uh, teams with the be- best odds, maybe it's okay if we have a little bit more randomness. But isn't it, isn't it kind of weird that like we have – yeah, this multi-billion-dollar business. We we comes down to this little ping pong machine. Yeah, ping and, pong balls bouncing I mean, around. And, and look, it's this is one of the missions of Adam Silver. Like this is an Adam Silver-driven uh, agenda. He is is tired from everything I've been told. Just tired of hearing from reporters at press conferences about tanking. Tired of reading about <laughs> tanking. And he sees this as the best step he can possibly take. Uh, to changing all that. But there there will be people out there, and I, I tend to agree with this argument from some small market teams that think that tanking is more of a PR issue than it is an actual issue. I mean, these teams will tell me that nobody's attempting what Philadelphia did since Philadelphia. And a big reason for that might be the NBA kind of helped get Sam Hankey fired. I mean, they, yeah. however you want to phrase it, and we can be delicate with this because the NBA doesn't I- insist they didn't, in, you know, put Jerry Colangelo in Philadelphia, but at a bare minimum, they got the ball rolling here. And Jerry Colangelo goes to Philly, and from day one, you knew when they acquired Ish Smith, like you knew this was <laughs> this was a Jerry Colangelo yeah. operation, and eventually Sam Hankey uh, was shown the door, or walked out the door, however you want to uh, figure out how that happened. It, it, it's Philadelphia has not happened again, and teams believe it's not going to happen again. And really what it's come down to is, 20-plus game tanking, what Phoenix did. I mean, Phoenix was the most egregious of this. I mean, after the All-Star break, they were so shameless with with how they tanked. (laughs) I think the sense I get from some opponents of reform is that they want to see the NBA address that stuff directly. See, have Adam Silver level a massive fine when Earl Watson comes out and says, management decision, which is why Eric Mm -hmm. Bledsoe is being (laughs) shut down. I think they'd like to see that step first before they go into any kind of lottery reform. That's fair. Um, I, I just always go back to the fact that with the Sixers, I still you think that they. they I like tanking. I did. Like I said, I did it in two. Don't be hired, Kevin, as a GM. Maybe won't let it happen. Uh, it's it's a desperate measure, um, and I think it was the right approach that the Sixers took because it, it was within the rules. They didn't break any rules when they chose to do that. I just think it, it's taking short term losses for the sake of potential long term winning. I mean, if you if you rank everybody's assets across the league. The Sixers are arguably at the top, and if they're not at the top, they're at least in the top three, four, or five in terms of assets. So you can say, can you say they succeeded? Oh, well, maybe. I mean, we don't really know yet, but from a process point of view with the assets they have, I do think they did. I just keep coming back to it. Is it really a problem? I mean, I don't, I don't, I personally am okay with it. But I also think um, it's perfectly fine for many of the other reasons that have been outlined. I thought Maury, like I said, the point he brought up about teams freeloading um, when the visiting team is actually the team selling tickets when they come in. That's a great point from a business perspective for the league. Um, For the the fact that fans are rooting for their team to lose seems a little bit twisted. Um, 
I'm okay with, with this current proposal that's out there with flattening the odds. And plus, it might create a little bit more randomness if we're talking about from an entertainment perspective. On draft night, I'm on draft lottery night, having 14% odds for the top three. It'd be kind of wild to see a team with like 10th or 11th best odds ending up winning the lottery. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, I, do think, I do think it passes no matter what. I, I think, think so too. Some of the, the opponents I've talked to, they're still against it, but they're... They think that it's that it's a losing fight this time around. I that agree. There's either too much, too many people in favor of it, or too many people indifferent to it that that maybe aren't looking at it in the same long lens view that they are. But I'll tell you what: if, if they change the rule, and again, it won't go into effect till 2019. That was the NBA doesn't want to alter teams' rebuilding plans now. That'll it's, still be quick, though. That'll I mean, still that's, be quick. That's, that's coming to be soon. Years, yeah. But what's it going to look like next summer if, say? They pass lottery reform, which small market teams will say this hurts us. And then Paul George and Russell Westbrook wind up playing for the Lakers, for sake of argument. And Anthony Davis <laughs> is traded to Boston yeah. uh, for a rebuilding package. It's going to make everything look really bad when it's the haves on the coasts and the haves nots kind of in the middle. Yeah. I think it's going to look a little, so, um, little ugly for the NBA. And that's a conceivable outcome. That's possible. Oh, yeah. It's possible. Well, that's not a pipe dream. Yeah, that's... it's not. It's not at all. That's something that next summer at this time we're look, heading into the year like, well, too bad those teams wouldn't have a 25% odds to, yeah. to win the lottery. All right. So keeping it with the, the, the small market teams here, Oklahoma City, which I think is the most fascinating team in the league this year. I mean, they... I mean, they, like they're one injury away to Golden State from maybe coming out of the Western Conference. I think. I mean, and maybe it's two injuries to Golden State, but you know, they're, they're circumstances <laughs> away from from maybe coming out of the East. They're also or out of the West. They're also maybe a year away from having to engage in the most massive rebuild that we've ever seen, and, and the and you know completing the greatest talent drain over five years uh, that we've ever seen. Now. It sure seems like Russell Westbrook's going to come to camp without signing that contract extension. I, I, I woke up the morning and I saw the 10-year extension link, and before you could see sneaker deal, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, Russell Westbrook signed his new deal. Uh, no, no, that's just with, with Nike, with Jordan Brand. Uh, he's uh, he's going to have the same sneakers, maybe not the same uniform uh, moving forward. But here we are uh, a week or so away from the start of training camp. and I mean, how concerned do you think Oklahoma should be, City should be that it seems Westbrook is not going to sign his deal before the start of the season. I'd be super concerned. I'd be, I'd be super, super worried. Um, I think Westbrook gave them two more years. Last year, he easily could have demanded a trade out, um, but instead he signed the extension to give them two more years. But if they go to the play, if they go to the playoffs and don't make any noise, Westbrook can look around a guy who grew up in Southern California. Um, he could see his teammate Paul George heading out to L.A. He could see LeBron heading out to L.A. and think, hey, why don't, why don't I want to go there too? Um, I, think, I think it's conceivable that Westbrook could leave. I think there's still a high percent chance that he stays as well because um, Oklahoma City is really where he's built his brand. I, um, I think he really is a loyal guy. Um, but I'd be worried. I would be very worried that he hasn't signed that extension this year, especially considering the fact that they got another star player and he still hasn't signed on the dotted line. I mean, it kind of says a lot to me. I think Oklahoma City's position on, on Westbrook or to Westbrook is, is, is pretty impressive. I mean, we're ready to make you the richest player in NBA history with total value of a contract. You can sign whatever contract you want. You want to sign a one-year deal, a two-year deal, whatever you want to do, uh, you can sign it. Plus, we went out there and got you another, depending how you value Paul George, top 10, top 15, top 20 uh, type of player who you can play next to, who on paper I think is – an extremely good fit with with Russell Westbrook. I, I would really feel bad for Oklahoma City if they wound up losing those two guys because they've done everything right up until this point. I'm not blowing smoke here or being an advocate for, for the Oklahoma City front office or their coaching staff, but you look at over the years, it's not just Westbrook and Durant. It's, it's the Serge Ibaka's and the Reggie Jackson's and the, and the Harden's. You know, guys that were not obvious picks at that time. They've, they've built their team well, and, you know, th- next year... You know they could be a, a ten win team if 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 they if they don't play their cards right. They could go. I don't know what Kevin. I don't know what the the greatest drop in wins per year is. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I guess probably LeBron's team has to be close to it. What they did the in twenty ten and eleven. But I could see Oklahoma City this year winning fifty seven games, maybe mm-hmm. in that range, and next year winning twelve. Like it, it, it's that possible. Yeah, it's it's like a. Uh... Katie said, or somebody said on his social media account. I don't know if you saw this this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it's like it's, it's like you take Westbrook off that team. They're terrible. The Katie Burner account <laughs> didn't uh, 
That was tremendous. Yeah, yeah, Katie's got to... Yeah. He might have some social media issues there. That might... <laughs> That, that quickly was screen grabbed. Katie, <clears throat> we know it was you. <clears throat> um, yeah. Somebody's uh, going to ask him about that at some point. Yeah. September 25th. Yeah, well, me, Media Day is coming soon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, whoever said that was right. Um, that the team without Westbrook pulled them off. They're, they're no good. Um, I, I don't know if Oklahoma State's pulled all the right strings, but they've made a lot of good decisions. Um, and they certainly positioned themselves to be a quarter away from being in the NBA Finals, and then Katie just happened to leave. Um, they were up 3-1 over Golden State. They were in a great position to win a potential title. Um, they, they did really everything they could have. They made a couple maybe mistakes. Maybe you could say they should have kept trade, uh, kept Harden and traded Ibaka instead. Big mistake. Yeah. That was a big yeah. mistake. Yeah. I mean, but like that's, or kept both, but, or, but, or have but, seen the salary but cap that's, grow. That's so easy to say in hindsight, though. I mean, at the time, I don't know if there are a lot of people that would say like Harden will become the player that he was today. Right. I think I think you're you're really changing a little bit of history if you do say that um but yeah they, they've pulled a lot of the right strings and it's unfortunate that potentially it's unfortunate that they could be in a spot next year where they lose all three of those guys and, and then paul george who they got for really nothing uh, a bad contract and a in a, in a solid rookie mm-hmm. um that he could just walk to. I mean, it's nice for them that they got to take that risk, um, which is absolutely actually no risk at all because they just dumped a bad, bad deal because that gives them a chance, a chance um, where if they make some noise in the playoffs, maybe they keep both. But I, I, just, I don't see George staying. I still think George goes to the Lakers. Um, the question is, does Westbrook follow him there or does Westbrook re-up for another year or two or longer? I think uh, why they're so fascinating is that I do think that, that this year and how they play – will have an influence on Paul George. Now, maybe it's not an overriding influence. Maybe LeBron says, I'm going to L.A., Paul, come with me, and, and that's too much temptation to turn down, especially if the Lakers, if Ingram develops, if Ball develops, they look like they have the foundation for a team that can compete over the next four or five years. But I think Oklahoma City can be really good. I, I think that, like I said, I think George is a good fit alongside Westbrook. He's a catch-and-shoot type of guy who can play pick-and-roll, who defends extremely well, which is going to help them uh, in the playoffs. And I'm looking at Steven Adams, and I think he's going to have a better year. With, with he, he was one of the bigger disappointments to me last year, that he didn't take steps forward. I think a lot of that was because teams kind of built a wall uh, you know, kind of around him with nobody else on the outside. If you're just throwing Anthony Roberson out there, which Roberson is not uh, Andre Roberson. I keep mixing my Robersons. <laughs> you put Roberson out there. Um, it, it, I think now that you have another shooter, it's going to make um, uh, Steven Adams – that much better. So I think they I think they can be the second seed. I think they can be the number 2 seed in the conference. And then from there, who knows? I mean, does it come together for Houston? Is San Antonio uh, what they are once again? I think they can get all the way to to the conference finals. And if they do, it's got to be tough for a player at, at Paul George's age, 27, 28 years old, to decide to walk away, especially if Westbrook says I'm staying. That's that would be tough for for Paul George, I think to walk away from. LA is a nice place to live, though. It is. A lot, a lot of family there for your Paul George. Uh, could potentially be playing alongside the greatest player, maybe of all time, in LeBron. Um, a lot, lot, lot of nice things out in LA for Paul George. A uh, lot, lot of nice things off the court as well um, that, that he would be able to have in terms of branding and sponsorship and family and all that. Um, but I do think Oklahoma City is going to be damn good for sure. Um, I don't know if they'll be a two seed. I still like Houston more than them. I still put San Antonio ahead of them, but they'll certainly be like in that three, four, five range, which is fine. Um, I think they're going to be a really good team. I love the George Westbrook dynamic. I think, as you said, Chris, George's ability to really play off the ball, um, ability to shoot, attack and closeouts. I think he'll make he'll make things easier on Westbrook as well. Um, at the same time, like I, I hope. I hope Westbrook has evolved a little bit from the KD days. I'm not sure if he has at all. Um, I, I do hope that those guys play a little bit more dynamically within the offense than Westbrook did last season, than, than Westbrook and KD did throughout their entire era. I'm not convinced it's going to happen. I hope it happens. I hope we see them play more of an, um, a side-to-side ball movement style, but I, I'm not, I don't think we're going to see it happen. Um, so that's where my hang-up is like with them in playoff situations. They're going to be great in the regular season, but in the playoffs, I still think they're just going to fizzle out it once again. Okay, so put yourself in Sam Presti's position. You're in mid-January, and your team is good, but they're not quite as good as you thought they were going to be. Neither one of these guys is committed to a contract extension. <laughs> Do you move one or both? Blow it up. Blow it up. <laughs> Trade them both? 
I mean, obviously it depends on what you're getting back. Right. Um, but like, let's say, let's say in a theoretical situation, the Lakers are like, Hey, we want these guys now and we'll give up, you know, Lou Aldang's contract and some other good, young, nice stuff. Maybe if you're Oklahoma city, you're what you're like, you know what? We just got to do it. We just got to do it now um, because it's not risk. It's not worth risking losing these guys for absolutely nothing. And then Andre Roberson's like your best player. <laughs> Steven Adams is like is the face of the franchise. I mean, then 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 you're in trouble. Um, so I do think Presti needs to be forward thinking um, when it does come to that time of the season. But obviously, it depends on like what you're getting back. Is it worth giving up the chance of maybe getting lucky in the playoffs, maybe getting a little bit better if you make add one more piece for one more run at it? Is it worth giving up that for blowing it up? Maybe. Maybe it is, but also maybe it's not. I think everything should be on the table for them come January and come early February. I don't, I, I don't see the Lakers. I feel like Magic is – Maybe it's irrational, but I think he's so confident he can convince them to come or mm-hmm. convince two stars yeah. <laughs> to come that they're not going to give up anything real. And what's real is, is you know, Brandon Ingram, they're not giving up Lonzo. Uh, even Julius Randle, I don't think they'd want to move in a, a potential deal like that. By the way, I mean, was that – this was weeks ago, but was that uh, tampering penalty the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen? I mean, yeah. I, I'm wondering because it's so – it's almost impossible to get caught tampering in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody tampers yeah. from owners on exactly. down. There must have been like an email out there from the Laker front office to Paul George's reps, like basically saying Paul George to LA question mark. Like, yeah. you know, just that. Like, <laughs> like they had to L O L at the end, like, like wink, mean, wink, wink emojis. Like the NBA does not want to get in on this, and yeah. teams generally don't don't report it all that much. So. I don't. I, I wonder what was out there for them. So, well, it'd be interesting. It's going to be a, a tough decision uh, for Sam Preston to make. Uh, that's for sure. All right, quickly, I got to tell my listener about something I don't do a lot of, which is shaving. Uh, neither is Kevin, by the way, sitting there with his five o'clock shadow this morning. Uh, Gillette is the best shaving product out there possible. I have a whole package of stuff in my bathroom. I use it all the time. The tip of the Gillette razor is so precise; it's measured on an atomic scale. Their blade edges are thinner than a single brain cell. The hundreds of members of their R&D team have spent over 4,700 years combined. How is that possible? Working to make a Gillette shave closer and more comfortable. That's longer than the Egyptian pyramids have been around, okay? Over 1,000 craftsmen and women make Gillette blades in Boston, right where we are. Meanwhile, another team of folks are putting your blades through more than 60 strict and precise quality checks. Fail just one of these tests and a blade doesn't leave the plant. In other words, the hardworking people at Gillette never stop working to make your blades better. And now that includes the price. Get Gillette blades at their lowest price in years. See for yourself at GilletteOnDemand.com. Gillette, the best a man can get. Pricing applies to select products and is at the sole discretion of the retailer. All right, so we are here in Boston. Both of us do are at a lot of Celtic games uh, during the year. And if Oklahoma City is the most intriguing team, Boston's inside that top five. Yeah. Um, right there with, with how these guys fit together and, and exactly how deep they can go with this group. When, when you look at, at all the new pieces, only four guys back from, from last year's team. Irving, yeah, Hayward, combining with Horford, Brad Stevens. How long do you think it takes this group to kind of come together? Big unknown. Big unknown. Um, I will say this in terms of the argument for how it could happen quickly. I think Brad Stevens has done a good job of getting guys rolling within the system mid-season when they're acquired mid-year. I think he's done a good job of that over his tenure with the Celtics. With that said, like this is a lot of new guys. A lot of new guys are going to have to learn a system that's really based off of decision-making, like reading the play, reading and reacting. Um, so could it take a while? Yeah, for sure. It's possible Like come December, come January, we're talking about the Celtics as a team that's like completely underwhelming. Um, they could be the three-seed at that point in the year. But I do think ultimately for the Celtics, for Danny Ainge, their goal is to win a title. And all that ultimately matters is, is that this team's gelling by April. Um, so could it, could it take a while for them to gel early in the year? Of course, definitely. Um, but I don't know if they'd be that worried about it, so I'm not sure if we should be either. Yeah, I, I, look, maybe it's that I'm parroting your boss, Bill Simmons, that I just have blind faith in Brad Stevens mm-hmm. to some degree. Like I, I think that he is so intelligent <laughs> and that his his – Ability to identify strengths of players is such. Plus, his knowledge of Gordon Hayward is going to oh, yeah. it's going to make him uh, fit it, at the very minimum fit in easily and probably get better. I mean, I've said this before, but I think Gordon Hayward becomes a post player in Boston. I, I think I don't think he was used that often in that type of role in Utah. 
And, and you remember seeing Evan Turner in Boston, the way they used him yeah. in kind of mid to high Good post. comparison. I, I think you can see Hayward in the exact same position. Mm-hmm. And that's going to make the Hayward-Kyrie Irving relationship that much easier. We know Al Horford's going to pass. Yeah. That's what he does. Sometimes too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Hayward's going to draw double teams, and Irving's going to be set up for those open, open uh, st- standalone jump shots, which he is really good at. You know, you pass him without having to move off the dribble, he's making mm-hmm. most of those shots. Like over 40%. Uh, it's, it's an absurd oh, yeah. number right there. So I think he and Hayward <laughs> are going to fit together perfectly. And, you know, people that are, are critical of Irving as, as a non-passer and say, how is Irving going to fit into this Boston ball movement system. I mean, watch more Boston games. I mean, the Celtics, when, when Isaiah got it going, it was, here you go. I mean, just mm-hmm. keep going. I remember watching yeah. Stevens on the sideline, and Isaiah looks for a play, <laughs> and he's going like this, and yeah, Brad's just, just going, go, 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 I, I go. Saw. Yep. Do your thing. I mean, when Irving gets rolling, he's going to have the ball. And sure, there's going to be an adjustment. And sure, because he's not playing with a LeBron, he's going to have to be more of a facilitator. But I don't see it being kind of round peg, you know, square hole type right. of thing. I think the, yeah. you know, give him a couple of months, and it works out uh, with him pretty quickly. Um, I'm totally with you, Chris. I said this on Bill's pod a couple of weeks back, and I just think Kyrie Irving, there's so much of the assessment of his game is, is based off, like I see a lot of people mention, like, well, he didn't take the team to the playoffs before LeBron got there. It's like, yeah, he was like 19, 20, 21 years old. Very few point guards do. So much of it hits on the passing. And it's not like Isaiah Thomas is a great passer either. Isaiah got better from when he first got in Boston to when, um, when he was just traded. Um, he improved over the two and a half years he, he was with Brad Stevens. And Irvin can too. Last year was his age 24 season until he turned 25 in, I believe, March. Um, he's a really young guy who's accomplished a lot so far early in his career, but that doesn't mean he's peaked. It doesn't mean that he's reached his potential. So Irving can still get better in areas that are perceived as weaknesses, like his passing ability, like some of those really high degree of difficulty passes from one side of the court to the other, especially for that corner three. Maybe those are things that he kind of picks up playing under Stevens. Maybe, Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just is who he is as a player. And you know what? If he is, that's a damn good player that the Celtics got. And I do think the dynamic with Hayward is going to be really fascinating to watch because I, I think your point about comparing him to Evan Turner's role, that's that's kind of where I foresee him going into, where it's like before when you had Evan Turner taking those pull-up 12-foot jumpers, <laughs> um, Hayward is going to be extending that back oh, towards yeah. three-point range, really stretching out the defense, making things easier for everybody else. Um, and Hayward's a really terrific passer. It was just a couple of years ago in Hayward where they kind of made him a little bit, gave him a little bit more playmaking responsibility until they brought in more point guards. So he's capable of doing that. We'll see Hayward bring the ball up. We'll see Horford bringing it up. You'll see Irving doing it too. It's going to be really a multi-ball handler offense. And the one thing Stevens has really said a lot over the years is that like, the, the better the more point guards quote unquote you have on your team the more guys that can attack off the dribble and play make the real harder the harder your team is to defend and right now they have a lot of guys that they can put out there that can do that you know I, I haven't talked to Gordon Hayward yet about why he chose Boston I know he's done some interviews about that but I got to believe part of it whether it's a small part or big part is that he knows that he can get a little bit better and that's not a knock on Quinn Snyder I thought Quinn was fantastic he took this guy and made him into an all-star helped him become an all-star, but I think under Brad Stevens, there are layers to his game that are going to be unearthed, unlocked, and and he's going to get a lot better. Let me ask you this, though. Last year, the Celtics got killed on the glass, and if it's possible, they got even weaker this year because they didn't add much in the way of uh, front court help. Uh, it put Aaron Baines in there, but Baines has only been a 15-minute-per-game guy his entire career. How big a problem is it if, if this is the team that Boston goes into the regular season with? How big a problem is that lack of size? I think in certain matchups, it could be an issue. Um, but the, my question is, is when is it actually going to be, you know, be an issue for them in the playoffs? I mean, you look, look at the standings against Thompson with Cleveland. Yes, it could be an issue. Against Toronto, I don't know if you're really worried about uh, them putting out Valanciunas. I mean, look, Maybe you probably are. Not, but, probably not because Valanciunas is hit or miss in yeah. that lineup. But he did. I remember uh, one of those, the, the games they played during the season where Valanciunas had 20 rebounds yeah. against them. And so he, yep. he can be. He can be a bit of a brute. I think I think the other factor to consider is um, yes, size could be an issue for them, ha- lack of beef. But at the same time, like they still have that open roster spot, and the roster isn't isn't completed. If they don't add another big body, then yes, it could potentially be an issue in April, May, and June. Um, Would you make a run on Andrew Bogut? Yeah, why not? If, if if he's healthy, if he's healthy, I think he can. If he can go out there for eight minutes for you, 
then yeah, I think you can do it. Um, I think you would absolutely have to manage his minutes, minutes and probably give him a lot of rest, a lot of nights off. Um, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't think he, you would want him to be a guy that you're leading on every night. I think that would be a little unrealistic. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same with him. I don't know if he – and look, I, I would absolutely go make him an offer. I would, I'd make the hard sell at him right now because I think the – the ceiling for him is is will completely outweigh his contract, whatever you have to give him uh, to get him to sign there. I, I don't even know about managing minutes. He's 32, but his injuries have been kind of freakish over the years. I mean, some of them have just been bizarre. Even the most recent one, where I forget who the player was, went careening into his oh, leg. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. it, it's 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 not like with Bogut, and I, I don't think I'm wrong here, but it's not like he has these consistent, you know, here's a hamstring pull that might keep you out. Or, That's or, true. You know, I, I think there might even be more miles on his tires because of, of the time, amount of time he's had to miss uh, over the last few years. And the upside for him, as I said, it, it's huge. I mean, he defends, he passes. Uh, I mean, he was a big reason that his going out was why Cleveland came back and they won their championship. You're right. Which is funny because I yeah. remember Cavs officials at the time, you know, uh, you know, saying that, that Bogut going out was the worst thing that happened to him. They, they thought that Bogut's injury was going to hurt them. It turned out to help them in, in huge ways. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely would go hard after him. I'd make him the top priority you know, over the next few weeks. I think, I think if you're looking for a guy to add to your 15th roster, he's the perfect guy to add um, just because of all the dynamics he has. He's not just a big body. Like you said, Chris, he can defend. He's a terrific passer, as we saw him excel in the Golden State system for many years. Um, I think he would be a perfect add for the Celtics. Plus, you're going to at least appease Al Horford to some degree. Al doesn't want to be a five. And yeah. he says this. He's he, like, he, don't he, call me a five, not a yeah. pivot. Don't put me in the it, middle. It, it's unbelievable how, how how much he thinks that he's actually just a four. It's like, Al, at the sure, yeah, you're you're a four when you start, but end of games, which is actually when it matters, you're a five, buddy. Which, which I think you're he'd five. be cool with, but yeah. it, it's almost like you just... I mean, he remembers all those years in Atlanta. I mean, it's got to be grueling to play that spot every day, especially if you don't have... A natural rebounder alongside you, and, and he can't rebound. He's he rebounds like a little guard. He's, he's not a rebounder, and I don't know who they'd put him. You know, kind of at the four spot. I mean, it's it's just not going to be a good rebounding team. Not at, at all at this point. I, I think. I mean, I know a lot of people. Uh, I think Zach Lowe had a report that said like Mar- Marcus Morris could start and Horford would be at the five. Yeah. I, I still think it could be Aaron Baines at the five, where they start with that big traditional lineup and then they go small quickly into the game. I mean, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see, but it's also possible maybe Stevens changes the lineup every night. I know you like continuity, but this is the type of team where you could change the dy- dynamics depending on the opponent. Because if you're facing Andre Drummond, you probably want Baines out there, or you would want a Bogut out there mm-hmm. more so than a Horford. But if you're facing one of the, one of these small ball teams with like a speedy a stretch forward, you got to go small with Morris at the five. And I think – Yes, size might be a concern, Chris, but that's the nice thing about this team, that they are versatile and that they can adapt and play different styles. They, they were concerned. I mean, you remember towards the end of last year, they started playing bigger lineups, and they were almost surprised that they were winning games at the end of last year because their objective, they kind of thought they were going to be the two seed. They were, in some ways, both teams were conceding the one seed at the end. Yeah, yeah. But Boston wound up winning because Cleveland went in the tank. But they, they were trying, like, the Olenek Horford stuff. Like, they were trying to get bigger and bigger with their lineups to prepare for Cleveland or Detroit they thought they might mm-hmm. get uh, in that first round. So they're, they're cognizant of it. And I agree with you on Baines. Like, if he's not a starter, he's got to be an immediate player in that mix just because over 82 games, you've got to take pressure off Horford. You've got to take the pressure off, off, uh, off even Morris, too, if he winds up. Uh, in that rotation. Let, let me spin it for because this is the part of almost every podcast where I piss off New Orleans and, and get people down there uh, writing about what <laughs> I say, Uh-oh. what I say, what my guest will say here Uh-oh. about the Pelicans. But the Pelicans are probably not going to be very good. They're not going to be a playoff team because the Western Conference is brutal when it comes to playoff teams. But I, I don't see Davis and, and, and Marcus Cousins working out well enough that they put themselves in that mix. I don't think there's enough shooting there. Uh, I think at the end of the year, they're probably a 30-plus win team maybe in, you know, in the back end of the Western Conference playoff field. And then, whether people in New Orleans like it or not, you have to start looking at Anthony Davis deals. And you know, Boston, they, they still remain, even with that, this last deal, to me, they still remain the team best positioned to make the kind of offer New Orleans couldn't turn down. If you're Danny Ainge, it, and this happens the way we think it's going to happen, how deep into the well do you go to try to get an Anthony Davis? Go pretty deep. I go pretty deep. I mean, obviously, you would be putting that Lakers-Kings first-round pick on the table, obviously. I, I, if you're New Orleans, I'm demanding one of Tatum or Jalen Brown, I would think. And and if you're New Orleans in a couple years, if the, let's say this doesn't happen until 2019, let's just say. 
Al Horford will be a nice, nice expiring contract coming right up that fits that fits right in perfectly for Davis's deal. Um, so that's that's the type of package as a baseline. I think um, Boston, you know, could I'd be willing to do if I were the Celtics. Um, maybe if you're New Orleans, you're willing to shop around and look for a little bit more than that because the, the landscape can change so much. Maybe maybe there's a transcendent prospect in the draft that you would rather have the number one pick. But the problem is, is like that team with the number one pick. Davis might not want to go there. He might not be willing to commit there. And that's where it's like, even if another team theoretically has more assets, they might not be willing to give up what it takes knowing that Davis won't resign there. Whereas in Boston, Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis are friends, played on Team USA basketball together before. Um, I think he'd be willing to resign in Boston. Whereas in other cities, there's that question of would he or wouldn't he? Whereas the Celtics probably would know that, yes, he would. Well, look, it's exactly like it played out with Kyrie. I mean, teams that were interested, they wanted You're to right. talk to his reps and say, where's his head at? And, and his reps were pretty blunt with them, some teams about uh, what Kyrie was, was thinking about. And uh, Yeah, you're right. I don't think a team that doesn't believe they can keep Davis long-term is going to take that kind of risk. Um, is, is Atlanta getting Anthony Davis? Like if they, if they have the number one pick, if they bought him out and they put that out, is like Davis going to be able no, to go there? I don't no, think it so. It might, it's, I don't even think it sells tickets. It doesn't sell tickets in New Orleans yeah. know, right now. So I, I think Boston – and I'd probably ask for, for both Tatum and Brown. I doubt you get it. But yeah. I'd ask for – and I've written this before. I would ask for the greatest you know, trade package ever in NBA history. Mm-hmm. It's got to be because this guy is in his mid-20s, under contract for two more years – arguably the best player in his position who continues to, I mean, last year kind of plateaued a little bit. It wasn't his greatest improvement year, but continues to add layers to his game. I would make, I would go all in on Anthony Davis to say, this is now my team Mm -hmm. moving forward. Empty the treasure trove of draft picks, give him a young talent, you know, make him an offer they can't refuse. I think he's one of those transcendent players um, with Hall of Fame potential, right? I, I don't think that's an outrageous thing to say. I mean, all, all, the only thing you can look at with Anthony Davis is like, he's had some injuries. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, other than that, there's very few knocks on his game on either end of the floor. He's stepped up his defensive ability on the interior. He's really turned into a great perimeter defender. Offensively, his three-point shot still needs to improve a little bit, but it's gotten better over the years, and I think he'll continue to progress. He's still so young. Um, Davis absolutely is one of the guys in the league that has Hall of Fame potential. So he's a guy, yes. If you're the Celtics, maybe that is when you go all in, put all the chips in the middle of the table and say, okay, take it or leave it because this is it. That's a weird team down there, isn't it? Like, oh. like 20 years ago, yeah. Davis and DeMarcus Cousins is, is something you yeah. salivate over. I, uh, now, uh, uh, <laughs> in, in today's NBA, you've got to have you know, uh, at least one small at that position, a shooter at that position. I said to someone before, the, uh, I went to an Arcade Fire concert on Friday, I said to someone before the show, that team's better built for 1997 than for 2017. <laughs> they really are. I mean, they are. They have Rondo at point guard, who, who's, who's been a better three-point shooter, to be fair, over the last couple of years. Drew Holiday, not a great uh, spot-up shooter. They signed Tony Allen, who can't, who's a zero on offense. That made no sense. Boogie and Davis both can shoot threes as, as bigs, but they're not great three-point shooters. They're, they're going to have the worst spacing in the league. Um, with really one of their top lineups. I think there's a chance they are good. There's a chance if Boogie really buys in and those guys really play well together. Well, I think when they're, when they're on the floor by themselves, they'll be better. But those guys really need to learn how to play good together. And I, I'm, I hope they start running big man pick and rolls with Biggie handling, uh, Boogie handling or with Davis handling. I, I, we saw a little bit of that towards the end of the season. It wasn't super effective, but Man, I think that's it can to, be. That could be tough to defend. Oh, it could be really hard. Right? Like, can you imagine a four to five on oh, the yeah. perimeter? And, and Davis beats up Draymond Green. Oh, like, if, yeah. we're, if we're talking about like them against the best of the best, Davis is one of the few guys that does extremely well against Draymond. So I think there's a chance they're really good, but oh, I, wor- I worry about the spacing. Yeah, it, I that, worry. It's a shooter's league. And, I worry. And you've got to have t- at least one guy, if not two, out there on the floor at all times. And they're going to go with Drew Holiday and Rondo at the point guard. I don't really... It's like one of those like NBA 2K teams. Like it's like yeah. wow, you've got this is like Gerard, yeah. former All Star, Rajon Rondo, <laughs> you know, great playmaker, yeah, yeah. two bigs that are going to rebound the crap yeah, yeah. out of the ball. But in today's league, the way it's changed, it just doesn't. And then Boogie's a free agent next summer, so can't can't rule out the possibility of him just bouncing and leaving. Uh, that, that's a strange strange situation, and and not to uh, not to irritate people in New Orleans too much, but. You, know, you have to wonder if, if, if Cousins get or Cousins goes, if Davis gets traded, if that team is forced to rebuild, are they long for New Orleans down there? I mean, how long? I mean, mm-hmm. Seattle is still clamoring for that mm-hmm. team, and, and they're they're taking steps towards the a new building out there. Um, you know, the NBA for the record, you know, the NBA officials there tell me there's no conversations right now about moving a team, and usually 
if a team is going to move in the next couple of years, they there there are preliminary discussions about there's certain machinations that take place that that pre predate an actual move itself. Those are not happening right now. But the drumbeat will get louder if if they're not you know well supported down there. If there's not a plan for a new arena down there, uh, that that they could be the next team on the move. I'd rather just see the NBA add two more teams. I think there's enough talent in the league where the league's deeper than it's ever been. So where would you go um, outside of Seattle? Seattle's one, obviously. Uh, kind of a multiple choice? Not Las Vegas. Don't say Las Vegas. Not Vegas. You can't. Though, though I, I did quite enjoy the weather there. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's such a transitional city. Yeah, and I say this is. when I'm out there. like the, the, I, People throw the, the season ticket sales of the Golden Knights in my face. Say, We're doing great. Like, give it a couple of years. Like, yeah. Yeah. People in Vegas, they're not. It's like the problem that Brooklyn has. Like it, people in Brooklyn were not fans of the Nets, so it takes a generation to develop. And mm-hmm. at least in Brooklyn, you have millions of people to to potentially build off. Vegas, people move in and out four or five years. Very few people in the city of Las Vegas, and very few might be too strong, but a large percentage are not from Vegas. It's, could could just you go back in. to Vancouver? Vancouver. Again, I maybe? never went to Vancouver. I never was it. I heard great I, I never, things. I've never been. I, I, I mean, I'd love to visit. But, I've but heard great never. things about the city. I don't remember if how. I don't think they were well supported. That was one of the reasons that they went down to, to Memphis. I mean, is there another obvious city that we're forgetting about? There, there. there I, I mean. So you want to have a second I, I, team without a clear yeah, choice? For yeah. Well, I mean, look. I think. I think you could put your options out there. I think it would be nice to add two more teams. I, like I said, it just. Just. Without knowing any cities, even if it's not Seattle, I just think there's enough talent in the NBA to really support adding two more teams. And that wasn't something I thought even just three, four years ago. I was fine with 30. I would have been disappointed if they expanded. Like when that conversation kind of really first started a little bit, um, but now I'm really on board with it. They'll never go, but there are people that would love to see them in Mexico City. Like there are people that in the NBA office that say hell no mm-hmm. that security concerns are way too high. But I, I heard I heard one player a couple years back just saying how much he hated it in yeah. Mexico City because of, for security reasons. Security where, reasons. Where that's it just, it. Mex- just didn't feel safe there. You know the the hotel I guess wasn't great that the, that the player stayed at. Um, so I that was just one it's individual player that I heard say that. There, there's a and I've been to Mexico City a few times on boxing assignments, but there's a kind of like a zone where there are nice hotels and there are, it is a nice area and a safe area, but kind of outside that zone, it's, it's anybody's world. Basically. Here's the thing though. Like you can say that in some state uh, cities in the United States as well. So, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe you would just need to really figure out like the best game plan. Put it uh, this to, way. To I, I think they're more likely to go to Mexico city than they are to London. I don't. I still don't. Oh, see, I think so too. Unless yeah. you can get a, a full division in mm-hmm. Europe, which they're, they're decades away from, yeah. if, if that. Unless you get a full division, they're not going to move to London. No players, way. Players are just as likely not to want to go there as they are oh, Mexico City. No doubt about it. Imagine those road trips. Like, hey, we're going to go to L.A. for. I, I just think adding another Canadian team would be nice. Yeah. I, th- I think going back to Vancouver could be cool. Yeah. I'm at a second Canadian team. Can- basketball's grown so much in Canada. Toronto this century. Oh yeah. Crowds. Uh, Great absolutely. fan base in Toronto. Terrific. Um, I, I think having a team in Western Canada could be really good for the NBA in the short term and in the long term to continue growing the game and manifesting love for basketball in Canada. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. All right, quickly, I've got to tell uh, my audience about this great new deal over at Rocket Mortgage. I just bought a house, so I know the complete need for a great mortgage. Rocket Mortgage, they are one of the best. Support for this podcast, of course, comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, I don't think I'm ever going to get to 10. With Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent <laughs> online process. Maybe Kevin will. I don't know I how don't the know about, pays I don't, I don't know about that. Online <laughs> gives you the confidence to, shit, to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right uh, solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go over to rocketmortgage.com slash Mannix. That's rocketmortgage.com slash Mannix. Equal housing lender. Lights in all 50 states. NMLS. Consumeraccess.org. Number 3030. Ooh. Buying your 10th home. Wow. Right, right there. 10th home. I'm going to be, I want to be a real estate mogul yeah. <laughs> at some point. 
Even if it's just like a shack on Miami Beach. Chris Mannix pivoting to real estate. Pivoting to real estate. That's that's a good way to go. Forget video. Pivoting to real estate. Just start buying and selling homes. All right, so the NBA went an entire season last year without any coaching changes, which is astonishing for them. Usually we see one, two, sometimes more. But all that means, that means we're going to have like five coaching changes around Christmas. When you look at the coach... Uh, under the most pressure right now going into this season, early on especially, who do you who do you look at? It's got to be Doc Rivers. It's got to be Doc. Imagine saying that five years ago. <laughs> oh, my He God. left Boston, got this job as the coach GM, basically. <laughs> and, oh, I mean, he's lost all his power in the front office. He's just the coach now. A um, lot, lot, lot of changes in that front office. A lot of changes in the roster. Doc Rivers said at the Patrick Beverly intro- introductory press conference after the Chris Paul trade, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a ball movement coach. I've always been a ball movement coach. Um, I'm just paraphrasing here. But the, his point was, was like, yeah, we, we ran that type of offense, the ball-dominant offense, because of Chris Paul. I remember Doc Rivers in Boston always kind of running a ball-dominant offense. So I think with this roster that they have, with Gallinari, with Beverly, I think their core is could be really good next to Blake Griffin running that multi-ball handler offense, the Golden State-ish, Boston-ish type of offense that we see, the San Antonio type of offense. They could be really good. So if Doc effectively installs that, then sure, I think he'll be fine. I think the Clippers could be pretty competitive this year. But if he doesn't, if he fails to do that, absolutely, he should be on the hot seat because in, in recent years, Doc hasn't proven that he, he could effectively do that. I think Blake Griffin has been one of the most underutilized, misutilized players in the league. And that's partially because he's playing against one of the, with one of the greatest point guards of all time who rightfully had the ball. But Blake has the ability to really be more of a point forward. And I think playing along Beverly and playing along Gallinari, I hope we get to see that. And if we don't, I think Doc should be gone. Here's my question for you, though. And, look, no coach wants to get fired, but Doc Rivers did not have the appetite to rebuild in Boston. I mean, that was a big part of it. I mean, I, that's, when you look at the, the fleeces that Danny had back in the day, people look at the Nets deal, and that, rightfully so, but – in fact, they got a first-round pick for a coach that didn't really want to be there. <laughs> yeah. And you know, at that point, Danny had eyes on Brad Stevens mm-hmm. anyway, uh, was a coup for, for that team. So uh, I wondered, do you think that Doc, like, not that he doesn't care, but if it turns out, like, Doc, we're going to move on. I, I, if, if it does happen the way you think it might, it, you're going to get see one of those press releases where it says, mutually decided to you're right. part ways mm-hmm. along those ways. Because could Doc could easily slide back at the yeah. TV. And his reputation is what it is that the next desirable coaching job that comes along, he will be a top candidate. For sure. Like, let's say Orlando popped open in a couple of years, which I believe that's where he's based out of yep. or, or was at one point. Um, if that job opened up, then sure, he could obviously then go there as well. I think Doc will always be a top candidate because he is a good coach. I mean, like not not to like bash him too much, but he is a quality head coach in the NBA. Yeah, I think he's a really good leader for his players. Um, I think players tend to like Doc, um, and that's an important thing for uh, as we've seen with other coaches in, in recent years. Even if you're a good X's, X's and O's coach, if the players don't like you, like with David Blatt, for example, it's not going to work out. Um, so I think Doc. I hope he continues coaching in the league, um, but he needs to really, I think, adapt to today's style of the league. Why are you trying to run Frank Vogel out of Orlando? I, I'm happy with Frank Vogel. I'm, a fan, Frank? I'm just saying, like, if that's Doc's dream job, you know, if Orlando, if Doc is, has his eyes set on Orlando, maybe five years from now, six years from now, you talk about know. being victimized yeah. by a front office, though. Frank went down there with a team that didn't make any sense. At all. That, that was yeah. just the the island of misfit toys yeah. out there with with how those talk about a team built for 1997. Yeah, with I all mean, the all the bigs they had. I mean, the Bismack Biombo signing ranks is one of the most bizarre. In, in, in a series of that was like Jim McElvain like back in the day of like wait a minute you've given him what for to play where and alongside who that never made any sense to me uh, I, I look at Jeff Hornacek and, and maybe it's the, the fact that I've, I've lived in New York for so long but I mean now that that Phil Jackson is gone you would think that that frees up Jeff Hornacek and in some ways it does he's not beholden to the triangle offense he, it's he's going to be able to do what he wanted to do to begin with, which is probably more closely aligned with what we saw in Phoenix, which was kind of Mike D'Antoni light out there with, with how his offense uh, sort of ran. He's free to do different things with Christos Porzingis, uh, but there's also you know a new sheriff there in, in Scott Perry, and you know Scott, we don't know yet exactly how much power he has in that organization. He's been able to hire a bunch of guys, they haven't fired anybody, so that must be real crowded over there at, at, at Madison Square Garden, but. Um, you know, he's not Scott's guy. And if it turns out in year one that they're not, you know, you know, clicking or he and Scott Perry don't see eye to eye, 
I could see them moving on from, from Jeff Hornacek and finding a coach that's more in line with, with what Porzingis is going to do. I, I think that more important than wins and losses this year because the Knicks are going to be bad. They're a bunch yeah. of uh, you know, 25 and unders. They're going to stink. More important than that is, is what does Porzingis look like? Does he start to develop into that dominant player so many think he's going to be? Or does he continue to kind of be you know, mediocre and, and not look like he's taking those steps? You, you mentioned Phil Jackson not being there frees him up. It also could expose him, right? And that's where I think you're right. You're rightfully saying that he is somebody that does have pressure. Um, and I, I hope Porzingis takes that step. I hope playing more pick and roll um, does really allow him to get in that pick and pop situation where he's either shooting or just attacking closeouts. Porzingis's potential is sky high, Chris. Um, and I think he's good enough now where we can see that manifest this season. Um, and a lot of that will be on, on, on the coach um, to really unleash him and, and feed him the ball and I think enable him to be the star that he can be. Do you think Porzingis should be a full-time five? No, nah, not full-time. It's kind of the same thing with like Al Horford where it's like put him at the four sometimes in certain lineups next to Willie Hernan Gomez. Um, but you know, end-of-game situations, I think you would, you would like to have him at the five quite often. Creating every yes. kind of mismatch. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's got, eventually, he's going to be such a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he... I mean, I remember watching, and I've made the, and everybody's made the comparison to Dirk over the years, but I mean, when Dirk was at the nail back in the day, I mean, this is what Oklahoma City, when they were developing Kevin Durant, they were just showing him tape at Dirk at the nail position, right at the top of the key, saying, you can do this. You're a seven-footer who can dribble and, and shoot jumpers. You can be Dirk. Now, fast forward it and say, you know, Porzingis, who can take a step back from beyond the three-point line yeah. with, like, Brooke Lopez in front of him and, and other bigs that, that can't defend him. I mean... If they play it right and develop him right, and he has the talent that, that most of us think he has, I, I, I can't think of – he's an Anthony Davis-like mismatch. He's, he's, he's the kind of mismatch that we've never seen at that position before. He, he, you mentioned Davis. Like he's another guy where the only question really is, is, is injury risk. right? He's had a lot of leg injuries ever since he's, in, he's been drafted. But other than that, that's about it. I mean, like, sure, you can say he's not a great rebounder. Okay, fine. Um, he's still young defensively and improving on that end. Fine, like a lot of young big men are. Um, but offensively, the, the rate of improvement that he's made is remarkable because think about his draft in 2015. He was a guy that a lot of people who liked him, including myself – I thought he would take a while to be to make any impact at all. I, I thought he would be a slow developer, but he really burst onto the scene right away. And he, I think he's far ahead of the curve that anybody could have expected. So that's why I think it's I think it's fair to have high expectations for him this year. Even though the Knicks still aren't going to be good, that's only going to open the opportunity for him to get fed the ball and really enable him to be the star. Okay, so you know one thing I like about the NBA and what they've done with their coaching changes in recent years that there have been opportunities given to assistants. It hasn't always been kind of Let's identify the, 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 the coach that was great, the, you know, the, the retread type of coach, and, and bring him back. They've given some opportunities over the last couple of years to some quality assistants. When you look in kind of the assistant ranks or, or outside of the traditional kind of you know, guys that we know about, who do you like as, as the next you know, hot name out there on the market, next guy that can do the job? I, I got two names for you, Chris. Okay. First one, Ettore Messina from the Spurs. Yeah. Kind of a well-known name. Just one, really one of the most, most accomplished coaches in really basketball history around the world. Um, I think I think you could give him the opportunity if he's willing to take it. If, I mean, maybe you don't want to take a head coaching job if you're him. You, maybe you'd rather be the assistant of, of the San Antonio Spurs. But I think he's a guy where if I'm a team in need of a head coach, I'm targeting him heavily. Um, just hear a lot of good things about him as a coach. And then my other coach is, like I mentioned him earlier, David Blatt. I want him to get a second chance. I think Blatt is a good coach. Watch out for the Knicks on that one. He, he's a good coach, Chris. Uh, I think he put him in a situation where he doesn't have to coach LeBron James, where he can really install his system, ball movement, side to side, um, passing. You know, I think he's a modern coach um, that's really good for today's league, and I hope he gets another opportunity with us, with maybe a younger team where he doesn't have like all that star power right away. Um, allow him to grow a team similar to what Brad Stevens had in Boston, where he can have a younger roster. I think that could be good for David Blatt, um, where he really builds the culture slowly, and then they add on top of that. I hope he gets a chance. I hope he's not out of the league, because I, 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 I thought he would be good in Cleveland. I think the Knicks are, are, are a realistic hmm. landing spot. The connection he has with some people in the front office there, wow. 
uh, from back in the day. Uh, I, I think they're and, and they would kind of fit into what you're talking about the the 25 and under kind of crowd where he can develop. I agree with you on Blatt. I mean, per- perfect he, coach for Porzingis. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. I, I didn't you know Blatt didn't sign on. Like nobody complains about coaching LeBron, but let's remember Blatt didn't sign on to do that, and mm-hmm. he was fired when he was in first place, and he took a team to the finals. And you know people can say that. LeBron did it, and, and they did it in spite of David Blatt, and he wasn't uh, easy to get along with or, or, or whatever. But the results speak for themselves, and the results of, of Europe. He is you know, one of not the most decorated international coach yeah. ever. And you know, I talked to him recently um, when he was coaching out there, and you know, he, he's open to, to, to coming back. I mean, he, he went there because he, he, uh, yeah, he, he, that was his only option. He loves, loves to coach. Yeah, he just loves to coach. He wasn't going to take time off and go be a TV yeah. broadcaster. He, he doesn't want to be a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to do that on a regular basis. But I'm with you. He deserves another opportunity, whether it's the Knicks or, or somewhere else. I mean, imagine, like, think of it the reverse. Like, you know, Blatt, he was, if I'm not mistaken, going to take that assistant coaching job in, in Golden State, um, the one that went to Alvin Gentry. Mm-hmm. He would have been Steve Kerr's oh, yeah. uh, top assistant. If, if David Blatt takes that job, he is like a, a two-time – NBA finalist, mm-hmm. a probably maybe a two-time champion uh, at that uh, at that spot, and the hottest name in the business yep. right there. And you know what? In hindsight, maybe you should. Now, nobody turns down a head coaching job, yep. but in hindsight, I wonder if you you know gave David Blatt sodium pentol and said, you know, what, what's real here? <laughs> Would you rather have sat on the bench and maybe learn the NBA game? I do think there's some some merit to, you know, a guy that's never coached in the NBA taking a year to learn all the intricacies of it and not learning it on the fly. He could have done that with a great roster, with a great mentor in Steve Kerr and, and been, I think, way better off for it. The, the narrative on David Blatt would have been entirely different if he took that assistant job instead of the Cleveland. 100%. 100%, Chris, where Blatt could have had an opportunity to really get the next best job available. Um, obviously, Cleveland, he like you said, he didn't sign on for LeBron James. It turned into one of the quote-unquote best jobs available um, after LeBron came there. But before that, it wasn't. I mean, it was a team with with a y- lot of young players, Kyrie Irving, who was good um, but wasn't great yet, uh, who still had a lot of room to grow and still does. Um, so David Blatt, I think, I think that's kind of where I come back to, where that Cleveland job just didn't work out. It doesn't mean that he's not a, he's not a retread coach where I think – He's gonna stick it can't everywhere. Can't be a reach out after eighteen months yeah. or whatever. It is. Yeah, I, I think, I think Blatt could be really good long term if he falls into the right situation, and I hope he does. And think about this: I mean, Gentry used that job as a springboard for the New Orleans job. And you're right. Think about Blatt coaching in New Orleans with a elite young piece in Anthony Davis, which you would think he'd be mm-hmm. equipped to coach. I think he deserves. It. I think he'll get it at, at some point too. Uh, for me, though. And, and this name is going to be familiar. It's Steven Silas uh, in, in Charlotte, who I just continue to hear rave reviews about, both as his in his preparation, his individual coaching, how he interviews for jobs. He interviewed extremely well in Houston. He interviewed extremely well uh, in Golden State. The, the fact they went different directions is is no reflection on him. In fact, I think there. In fact, I know there were people in Houston that that preferred him over Mike D'Antoni at the time. Now, it, how that worked out is fine for Houston. D'Antoni was the right fit. Uh, with that team, but uh, he's a he's a very popular guy around the league. And you know, one thing people don't know about him is that early in his career, he was you know working with Steph Curry and working with the young guys out in Golden State. And they say a lot of nice things about about what he was able to help them with during his career. I mean, he's got obviously the family the lineage there with Paul Silas, his father, uh, being a, a former NBA coach and a player. I think Steve Silas is that next really quality name that is going to get a, a coaching job in the next year or two, and I think he's going to be great at it. That's a good one. Um, I, I hadn't heard that about Houston, that he was one of the names in there. I believe Jeff Van Gundy was also one of the other Jeff ones, Van right? Jeff Van Gundy, yeah, yep. was in that mix. Yeah, I, I, think, I think he's somebody who should get a job eventually as well. And like you said at the open of this conversation here, Chris, it, it's, it was rare for no coaches to be fired. Um, I think in a couple of years, maybe Blatt, maybe Silas, these names will be head coaches in the NBA in the coming years. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, I, and I like it too. I mean, I'd rather see these guys get a shot. The guys that work they, on it, they always kind of bothered me that Patrick Ewing never, you know, yeah. like, what do you want Patrick Ewing to do? Like, he, he did it the right way. I mean, he, he earned his coaching bona fides by working sidelines for other great coaches. Mm-hmm. He was installed in positions of power. I don't know if it was because he was a bad interviewer. I would imagine that's probably the case that he didn't interview as well as, as some other guys did, but giving these these younger guys a shot and it's it's a risk too because it's so much easier to hire an established coach and yep. say we're bringing this guy and here's his resume and and for a gm it takes some of the pressure off you there's a lot more pressure when you bring in a silas or another you know young assistant coach to take that job 
It's a risk. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the politics in the NBA, I think you're right where if, if you're a GM who maybe like your team's, you know, on shaky ground, like there's a chance where you're, you're in the hot seat as well. Maybe you do go with that guy who's proven that he can at least be average um, over that guy where you just don't know. Um, I think personally, like you need to take some calculated risks, both in life and in in sports, in order to really, really, I think, um, put yourself in a position to win a championship. So I, I do think hiring those younger coaches does enable you to really um, maybe reach a, little, a higher level than you would when a guy who you kind of just know who he is as a coach, and that's all he is. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thanks for uh, coming by the studio, man. Remember, we validate parking on the way out, yeah. and there's uh, prizes at the door <laughs> yes. as you walk out yes, of the, yes. the home studio. Can't get any of the art, though. Can't no, take no, the no, art. No well, art. you could. Okay. I mean, yeah. you just have to leave like 20 bucks yeah. at the corner there. <laughs> thanks for uh, coming in, man. Thank you, Chris. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Kevin O'Connor for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.